The information contained in this episode of Life of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs. G'day ladies and gents, Matty Michael here for another episode of Life of Mine, the go-to mining podcast. Now in this episode I chat with Nick Erner, Managing Director at Alkane Resources, ASX ticker ALK. Now thanks to Robbo and the crew, it's corporate story time again for teeing this yarn up. Now Alkane, they're a very interesting story. They've got their flagship producing asset, Tomingley, which is near Dubbo in New South Wales. So Tomingley pumped out 73,000 ounces of gold last year at a all-in sustaining cost of 1,300 bucks an ounce. But they've also got the Boda Kaiser Exploration Project, which is 35Ks east of Dubbo. And it's about 130Ks north of the massive Newcrest Porphyry Copper Gold operation of Cadia Valley. Now, Boda Kaiser hosts a 15 million ounce gold equivalent resource with lots of ground to further explore and they're looking to prove up a similar style deposit to Cadia Valley. Now Nick takes us through a bit about his career but more so an in-depth yarn about the history of Alkane and where they're heading. Absolutely cracking bloke and it was a very insightful chat about a gold producer and explorer from my favourite neck of the woods in New South Wales. So let's get into my chat with Nick Erner. Here we go. Nick Erner, how came? Welcome to Life of Mine, mate. First one. Thanks very much. It's been very highly anticipated from, I'm just on an absolute corporate story type roadshow at the moment with all the <laughs> with all the clients, so, yeah. and you're the, uh, you'd say the top of the food chain there, you're the highest market cap there. Yeah, which is hopefully for everyone else, not for long, right? Yeah, yeah. you'd think you'd do up a t-shirt for you yeah, or, or something, mate. Mate, tell us a bit, of, before we get into Alkane, uh, and get into how long Alkane's been around, tell us yeah. a bit, brief bit about yourself, your background. And how long you've been with Alkane for as the top dog? Mm, yeah, so I'm actually uh, trained as a chemical engineer at the University of Queensland. Just you get all varieties in the MD yeah, space here. Yeah, graduated out of there in the in '94. Started working '95, and then like so many people in CEO or managing director or you know section head roles, you end up getting a diverse range of experience which exposes you to another area. It might be exposing you to maintenance practices and then suddenly you're maintaining underground equipment and then suddenly you're doing underground stuff and then suddenly you're in a general management role, right? It, that's sort of the way I ended up there. A big, big chunk of my career at Olympic Dam when it was WMC and then bought out by BHP. I was there for about a year and a half under BHP. Back into coal and then... Um, period of time with Straits Resources in its sort of boom phase in the late 2000s and then my first my first job underground job at Hillgrove yeah there you go Straits yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so I was I, I did a stint at Hillgrove as well yeah sadly yeah sadly I was um, you know involved in having to shut that down because it wasn't profitable right 
And then were you, I think were you you might have been the GM when I was yeah I think so. you were yeah. the GM well I've met you before Just yeah had to recognise the face I was yeah. there as a grad with Ganser as the under yeah with Pete yeah so yeah. you know really difficult times because you know I was hoping to you know like you would have been move there and be there with my family for several years and then within sort of six eight weeks of starting I thought wow this is this is not going to make the company and therefore shareholders adequate money and I flew across here and said to the CEO, I think you're going to have to do this, right? Which was Milan. Yeah, Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and then um, with them for several years, and then in early 2013, uh, Alcane was, had just started construction of Tomingly Gold and it got it approved. And they're looking for someone from an operations background and a guy I knew both, Ian Chalmers, who was the managing director at the time, he's now a technical director, and I and put us together and we hit it off. And my experience both in development and running operations, both open cut and underground, my familiarity, because I've been in coal in New South Wales, my familiarity with the regulatory environment in New South Wales. And then also my familiarity with advanced processing, because at the time we had a rare earths project, which got whole split into in 2020, we split that into Australian strategic materials. And so, you know, it was really, you know, a match that worked really well for us. And so I joined Ian as the COO, and then Ian wanted to step back and go into sort of semi-retirement, brilliant, uh, technical, great leader. And so he became our technical director, and I was promoted into the managing director in 2017. And so it doesn't seem like it's been over five years now. Yeah, time flies, doesn't it? It does. It does fly. We've done, you know, we've done a lot in that. We've done a lot in that time. As, well, as MD, a lot of hours go into that five years. It's not your typical five well, years. Well, it's bursts. I think a lot of a lot of people in executive roles will tell you, you know, it's it can be really intense periods and there are periods where sort of everything's broadly under control and, you know, you're not putting in anywhere near as much time and you're doing a lot more thinking and then you sort of burst into another thing. Mm. Well, that's how I found it anyway, yeah. Yeah, and now you comment about um, regulatory environment in New South Wales. Don't let me forget yeah. that because I've got a query about that, yeah, especially no in regard to your Tomingley, Tomingley extension. Now, yeah. Alcane, it's been, a, as you said, it's been around been around for a long time. It's good. It's yeah. A, and the, the unique thing about Alcane that come, comes to mind first up, you've got your producing asset at Tomingley, then you've got yeah, big, exploration time, stuff. big time expiration uh, in the- With Boda Geyser, yeah. And your gold, big gold porphyry- yeah. Copper gold porphyry deposit deposits in close proximity to Cadia. So there's I guess there's two areas yeah. of the business. Let's we'll start with Tomingley. And I guess uh, myself and Robbo did a bit of segment on it in one of the weekly news updates yeah. recently. Notorious for being a I guess under promise overachiever, exceeding guidance yeah. regularly. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the project. Yeah, so it, it'll tap a little back into the history of Alkane in in the mid-90s, Alcane developed the Peakill gold mine, which is, Peakill's about halfway between Dubbo and Parks in western New South Wales, central western New South Wales. And that was an open-cut heap leach gold operation. Um, you know, small scale as a lot of stuff was then. And it explored the tenements to the north of Peakill. And in doing so, uh, discovered, there was some old historic workings here, discovered the pits that in time became um, Tommingly. And so Alcane went for approval for Tommingly in 
uh, sort of process that sort of went from 2010 through to 2012. I had to do some iterations and got it approved at the start of 2013, and it and it and it came into production then. And we, you know, when we started it, we were going to do 360,000 ounces, you know, and we're probably at about, I don't know, we passed 500,000 ounces last year, so I don't know, we might be 550,000 ounces out of it now. And at the time, you know, gold was actually falling in Aussie and it was falling back through 1450 and halfway through construction, some of the meetings we were having was, should we progress with this? And we thought that the geology was sound, so we did, because... At our heart, we're a geological and technical team. and But it felt really risky at the time, as, as things these sort of things often do. Did, did it feel more risky being in New South Wales no, compared to being in Kalgoorlie? Not at all, no. Um, it was just risky on cost versus, you know, gold price. But we, we had, um, you know, a view on the geology. And the reason why I tell that story is we... For our different pits, the first pit we did, which was only small Wyoming three, you know, we, we mined for the pit shell that we had, we mined 33% more than the initial resource, more gold, for the same size shell. And in once it was reconciled at the end of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So the inferred conversion was more than more than that. Now, of course, you know, geological types will understand that where it actually ends up compared to where it actually was is always a tiny bit different in dimensions and shape and all that sort of stuff. It was open cut. But, you know, we thought there was X ounces there. We got 130% of X. And then we ended up with four pits there, Coloma, um, Coloma 2, Wyoming um, 1. And Coloma was minus 8% against that whole of resource. There were some dike structures in there that we hadn't expected. Coloma 2 was nearly plus 30%, and then uh, Wyoming 1 was in the teen percent. So the whole mine has ended up, in its open cuts, being plus 10% of the resource as we understood it at the start. And that's because we were conservative about that. We didn't want to be wrong. When we went underground, we went underground on a mine of 90-odd thousand ounces we thought we might be able to do, and we, you know, we were pretty worried about it. For a while, we weren't going to do the underground. As in 90,000 for the whole? 90,000 for the whole development, right? But yeah. we, we, we use second-hand fleet and a small, we're our own operator. And, you know, here we are, we're mining, I don't know, 100 and something thousand ounces through it. And, you know, that team has developed down towards Worldswell and we've got another 700,000 ounces in front of us, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the main reason why we tend to over-reconcile is, you know, if you're listeners that are into, you know, GS statistics, you know, we do top cuts, we do creaking, we do things, we don't try and push all the boundaries of stuff. But sometimes when you get visible gold, it's not necessarily there. That's why the G statistics are there. But in general, for us, it's been there. And so in general, we've had portions of the ore body that run at 20 grams, 50 grams, 100 grams that have that have turned up but haven't been in the resource model. So it's a very, is it a very nuggety style ore body? Not particularly. Gravity is about 30 to 40% in that, in that ore body. It's more that... Um, the continuities are good, and so things that we haven't necessarily joined together, the drill holes have ended up being connected, um, you know, and and the visible gold portions end up being, you know, a little higher than we expected. That that's it really. But it's it's been good to us, and you know, we're 
we're pleased. Well, yeah, yeah, I suppose you haven't uh, haven't fell in the trap of uh, right the that that record is our next uh, target. Well, no, I mean, I mean, because you, you, you seen... produced seventy five thousand last year, and there you still are anticipating sixty two to seventy this year. Yeah, so yeah exactly. Because you know, you would know from your own experience, all bodies seem to have a natural rate, right, of extraction of. You know, there's a certain ounces per vertical meter, but then there's a certain stope width, a certain rate you can backfill, a degree of congestion that comes from the decline design, or in a pit, you know, ramp, overtaking lanes, all that stuff, from, you know, every, everyone listening would know. And I think often you can get in, in a senior role like mine, you can get into the trap of wanting more and more and more and the natural or body can't release it. And all of us budget it, you know, I don't know, plus 85% industry performance, but we're all budging that. So 100% of industry performance is all budging in the top 15%. Yeah. So you need to be really careful that you've accommodated for things because you know what it's like. You've got stressed men and women um, on the surface and underground and you know mistakes start to run and mistakes compound in an underground environment. Uh, over a year, like you can't expect everyone to be. You might have your 100% day. You can't expect it. Yeah, yeah, and, and day in day out. And the take it takes something like a slot firing. Like invariably, it will go well, but every now and again, there's you know a fault structure that you haven't mapped, and uh, the slot hangs up, and it takes you four days to clear, and you're out of sequence. And do you know what I mean? They don't clip a bloody dead on. Who does? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, all of those, wrong. all of those things, and it's no one, no one goes to work to be a stuff up, right? We all want to go to work and get a good job done. You know, particularly the people that we employ, everyone's having a red hot go at it. But things don't always go to plan for a whole range of reasons. You can a delivery a mesh can get delivered to the wrong side. Or, you know, there's all sorts of weird stuff that just happens. You know, and uh, but you know we got a really good team there. And so yeah, we tend to over reconcile. I know I've drifted way off topic. Sorry, mate. That's all right. Now all that all that weird those weird stuff ups have formed a great basis for the podcast content for four years because that yeah. sometimes it creates a lot of um, <laughs> a lot yeah, of see, fan a lot yeah. of uh, fan interest. Yeah, exactly. Now, you're pretty low on the cost side. Thirteen hundred bucks an ounce last year, Aussie. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. What are you? What's what are we attributed that to? to? That. Well, I think I think you know people need to first remember we're owner operator, right? And so um, that means that our equipment costs have been capitalised when people look at an AISC, right? So um, you know other people who might be using a contractor who might be getting similar rates and you know true unit costs they're also reflecting back into their fee that they're charging the client the equipment costs so, for, so first you've got to so yeah you're getting charged a monthly jumbo fee. yeah exactly yeah. so so we, we don't have that we've got all the on costs and stuff but the other stuff's capitalized right and so it's not until it depreciates back that it then starts to appear in our arc so that's one thing so it's a true that there's a difference of of that that comes the second thing is that you know that central west region people are residential so there's not a fly and fly out on cost, which you know we would understand both in um, the way it impacts employees and therefore you know the leave and rosters, uh, the 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 cost of that. So that that's with labour being a large cost in most mining operations, that's that's a relevant. Third thing is we're on the grid for electricity. So the New South Wales grid is you know it's got its own issues. We read about that in the paper, of course, but it does mean you can get long dated power contract prices and really evaluate stuff. And in general, it's cheaper, certainly than cheaper than doing diesel gensets in the West. But, you know, it's it's generally cheaper than power supply that you can hit, get here in the West. And lastly, logistics are, tend to be easier, you know. So 
the eastern seaboard, particularly having served a lot of coal stuff, explosives, manufacturing, delivery, um, you know, there's major spare parts stuff in Dubbo serving western New South Wales out through Ningen and Cobar, stuff in Park, stuff in Orange. So, you know, moving equipment to get it rebuilt and bringing it back, all those things just end up costing less, even though, you know, the underlying parts cost the same from, you know, Caterpillar, Atlas, Copco, whoever we're getting them from. So all those things just, they just add up together and then you but above all the all body itself is a you know has, has good continuity and and a reasonably robust grade we you know we have an underground cutoff grade of about 1.3 at the moment yeah and so. what what's what, what's that new south wales district like it's probably a, bit, a lot more spread out than like say the the gold fields. Well, in terms of operations, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but there's still a lot of the the servicing like service centres like like Dubbo with cat. Yeah, I mean Dubbo Dubbo is a town of um, nearly fifty thousand people. You know, for it's a regional hub. Yeah, massive place. regional hub, and yeah. you know, so is Orange and Orange has even got you know with the support of Cadia there, it's become a real tourist environment. Parks are small, fifteen thousand. You know, I mean, I, I guess for people listening from WA, it's like. Um, sort of like being at Guildford in terms of infrastructure and it looks a lot like the Swan Valley yeah, in terms yeah, of, you know, yeah. a bit a bit, bit higher rain fall than that. Um, you know, it's sort of flat pasture land. I think the big thing in New South Wales is landholder density. So a lot of New South Wales is freehold land. It's only in the real western areas that you get leased, leasehold land. So they're owned farms and a lot of them have sort of subdivided through, you know, um, a parent passes away, divides it amongst three children and then that sort of stuff. So, so in general, farms are becoming smaller there. Or hobby farmers, you know, people have want a lifestyle change and move to a fifteen-acre block from out of Sydney or something. And that that adds complexity because you know we in developing Tommingley, you know, which which is which which is good for us, but it's not you know it's not a half million ounces a year, right? You know, we ended up. There's seven underlying farms underneath that that we bought. We actually did more trades in that because we swapped farms and other things in order to get it away. And that's due to our long presence in the in the region. So that that underlies, um, yeah, a lot of what people see as complexity in New South Wales. Actually, there's just more people there. God, yeah. you could do, diversify the company and get into cattle. Like they're making. We it do. We, we we actually run. Um, for Australian Strategic Materials, before we split out, we have a whole farming business called oh, really? Guy Partial, but that went with that company. Yeah. But they subcontract, you know, long relationship, they subcontract back to us to manage our farm. We got, yeah, we've got, you know, a couple of thousand hectares yeah. that we run. Yeah, we run um, cropping and cattle and sheep. Yeah. God, you'd be mad not to at these prices. Yeah. Um, now, I want to get back to you mentioned permitting yeah. and, and the regulatory side. Now, with your Tom and Lee extension, yeah. what's New South Wales like with things like that? Getting extensions like the what's the yeah I mean, expedited like like, like many like many things having someone something extended or um, you know a variant of it approved you want to build a new crushing circuit or something like that is easier than doing something completely from scratch and that's mostly because psychologically you know people are used to it right and so if you've moved there from somewhere else you know it was always there right whereas if you bought something and five years later a minor arrives, well, that's that's a different thing. Um, you know, I think New South Wales has more industry conflicts than WA does because, for instance, in these regions you have 
you know, profitable um, sheep areas, uh, cattle areas. Um, it may even be a small town there. There's a lot of small towns dotted around the place. Um, you know, Tommingley, for instance, is a town of 50-odd people, and this is near that, right? Yeah. Um, and so all of those things, you know, the law is set up and the regulations are set up to manage that. And particularly, a lot of them came out of coal. Right. I was about to say, is it a bit stained by the, the I guess, the yeah, coal so stigma? Yeah, so the regulatory environment is is framed by coal, right? And so, um, and coal is, you know, closer to Sydney and in some of the different areas, Hunter Valley and et cetera, and different farmlands at larger strip mining impact. And so that that shapes the regulatory environment. It shapes the perception of it. And so without a doubt, that that spills over. But you're, the other thing to think about is, so Sydney, a town at, I don't know, a city of, I, I will call it 5 million, I don't really know what it is at the moment. In most of them, like many residents of Perth, the difference in Perth is, you know, mining's in our media. Most people know someone who's in mining or even someone that's in oil and gas. In Sydney, you won't know anyone, right? And so mining is perceived because it does have as having an environmental impact, whether it's coal, and the, but just an environmental impact. And people think, well, is the benefit really worth it? Well, I'm here in Sydney. I can get whatever I need from the supermarket. I can buy my car. I can do my thing. I live my life. I don't think it's really worth it. Right? Now, that's we can argue about whether that's short-sighted or not, but that forms the voting base that drives for change in amongst the politicians, that drives for stricter regulation on, on environmental impacts and things like that, right? And then, but, and so... We do tend to see, um, you know, rules and laws passed that reflect that community sentiment, as they should. We live in a democracy, and that's a community sentiment. Um, that being said, provided you get, you know, things that are pretty normal around here in all over Australia, tailings management, noise, light, dust, um, water, water usages, where do they go? Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's very very similar. It's just you need to deal with that increased population density and make sure that each of those people are dealt with. And that, that of course shifts. I think it shifts your opening cost, but I don't think it shifts your ongoing cost. Yeah, and it's well look, take coal away. Look, I know it's the it's hopefully in the past soon, but the Hunter Valley wouldn't be the Hunter Valley if they didn't have the coal that no, no, no. that has built that whole nor, industry, hasn't it? Yeah, it, I mean it has, and nor do I they think they wouldn't do it just off wine. No, no, no. I mean, they would be lovely country towns on Mm. wine and horses. And it's the same for Orange, right? You know, the income that's come from Cadia since the 90s into Orange has driven consumption, which has driven the capacity of people to go to restaurants and wineries, which has driven that as a sort of food and wine centre, which coexists with mining, which now attracts tourists, right? But you sort of, you know, all those things need to live in a balance. And the the Sydney, yeah, the Sydney people don't... (laughs) Don't yeah, and that's not that. that's not having a go. It's just the way it is, right? Yeah, sheltered. Now, the second, I guess, the second bucket of alkane, the yeah. aspiration. Yeah. Now, this is it's it's very interesting too. The like big something that's probably not that's not over the west that is yeah. more over the east. The big gold, copper, porphyry deposits. Yes. So you've got yes. Boda and Kaiser, as you're, I'm sure you're very well aware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a look. Tell us. A, bit about it you've look a lot of a lot of ounces in the resource i'll, yeah. I'll just read him i did it so that's look it's 15 million ounces gold equivalent yep so seven seven point seven uh gold and remainder in copper yeah 
first up when you see something like this, and I'll assure this yeah. is later down the track if someone asks you, yeah, yeah, is it a gold mine? Is it a copper mine? Is it is it a copper concentrate with uh, gold credits? Do they do you ever know in the early stages? Or? Oh, I mean, you get a reasonable idea. I mean, our early metallurgical test work suggests suggested that we could form a copper concentrate with gold credits, and the remaining pyritic tail from that could then be leached to you know in a traditional circuit to make to make gold bullion right so um at the moment it's about 50 50 in value you know the at, at, at the prices the price range that we're seeing at the moment and i think the good thing about that is it, it attracts the interests of people that sort of see that structural dislocation coming in copper and that other good side of that is it's you know the advantage of gold is it's very very simple to market and move and sell right so it's sort of not one or the other at the moment but i think it's attractive in in both camps i mean alkane you know it started as an exploration company in 1969 and listed in the early 80s and it's been exploring you know actively in the central west since the mid 80s you know and we picked up these tenement packages some of this ground's been gone over by the likes of Newmont and Newcrest and uh, Rio back when it was CRA and other stuff. And we picked up different bits of this tenement over the time. Uh, yeah, so porphyry free deposits, you know, this, you know, of course you've got Cadia, North Parks is a different type. You know, this is a different type to those again. Um, I guess people much more consider them sort of in the, in the more active arcs you know and sort of the 30 million years old you know whereas this area is sort of 400 odd million years old and they shouldn't really exist they should all be mashed up now by you know plate movement but but for whatever reason they they exist what, what is um, different about tom um boater and kaiser to north parks and cadia oh just the host rocks for instance you know um there's more biotype for instance in in it, it it's it's nothing remarkable you know um they all you know north parks today people talk about pencil porphyries these you know thinner higher grade stuff katie's got massive lower grade stuff but then it had this amazing pipe in ridgeway that you know really helped break the back of financing and you know propel the profit flowing out of that what we're looking at at the moment is a larger lower grade system with some higher grade portions in it particularly at boda it looks to be open cuttable at kaiser you could do an open cut at Boda, but maybe you'd launch a sub-level cave, right? It's really early days. You know, we want to take that through to indicated at Kaiser and Boda by the end of the year and then really try and understand it. Well, we've got a team of, if you include the fieldies, we've got, and not including drilling, you know, our own team's nearly 30 people. What's it like converting a like a mass deposit like that from inferred to indicated? Have you got to pepper it with a lot more holes than you would with yeah, the vein no, system? Yeah, because because like it's yes and no, right? Because there's geological continuity. So if if you can see the geological continuity and you can see that it joins together, this is through your drilling and your analysis, then you can say, okay, I need less drilling for the same statistical benefit because I have a geological interpretation over the top. It was all mashed up and spotty. Yeah, you'd have to do a hell of a lot more drilling. But the good thing about a porphyry deposit in general, they have greater geological continuity, so you can do a, a, a wider based drills, drill spacing because they're more consistent. You know, I, you know, people sort of say, oh, aren't you guys lucky to have discovered it? 
I mean, yes and no. I mean, we've been drilling in and out of there for nearly a decade. and You know, a lot of land there yeah, too, I saw. Yeah, go and reinterpret that data. But I think a thing to note is, you know, we've never shut down that geological team, right? So all through the 2000s and, you know, all, all the early 2010s when people were laying off geologists, we, we didn't. We kept that team together. We didn't have any redundancies in the geological team and we got them to go right back and came through the data and reinterpret stuff and give us plans. Then as we started to free cash up at a time, we weren't back into it, right? And now we have one of the larger exploration teams of any company, you know, in New South Wales. And um, and the majority of our free cash after the, that we put aside for the Tomlingley development goes into exploration. Because it, make, it, makes, it makes companies money. You know, for, if you look at just the McPhillamy's transaction for us, you know, the, our discovery onto that, the little amount of money we put into that, the JV and with Newmont and this um, sale to Regis, you know, we've put maybe a million dollars of Alcane money into that. And, you know, at the time, the script value of the Regis stock was 75, yeah. you know, and you see that again and again and again here with um, whether it's guys going back in like Bellevue again or the Chalice Discoveries, whatever, you know, expiration yields success. And what we try and do is rather than looking like we're waiting for a buyer, we say, well, if no one wants to buy this, we'll develop it. You know? Yeah. If you've got the answers in there, if you've got 15 million uh, gold equivalent yeah, answers. Yeah. and there's a lot of work, there's a lot of work to go into that, right? But, you know, people need to remember that, you know, this might be a thing that's in production, the, you know, in, in a decade's time. And, you know, who knows what the pricing of will be there. We need to be ready for that. And there's a lot of groundwork to do. There's a lot of, you know, ecological, environmental, supply chain groundwork to go in. Yeah. Does your long-term strategy of a, an asset like this dictate your exploration spend in the early stage? Like, do you have to have a bit of a plan of like, like are we going to develop it? Are we, looking, like, like, are we looking for new crest to come and tap us on the shoulder well, to acquire it? Well, I don't think anyone would ever want to acquire something that you're not showing a pathway to development on, right? I mean, they themselves would only come in if they want to if they think one day they could make an economic deposit out of it and so we think the best value for our kind shareholders is to advance it as far up the value curve as we can under our own steam right and then you know and th there's a logical thinking point about that at the end of the year right because we'll have an indicated thing we'll have a concept study um other people might be interested other people might not be interested right um that's okay we're, we're open to nearly anything you know we we're open to develop stuff. We're open to JV people in. We're open to do off-take stuff. So we're open to spend a bit more on it and then go and raise funding. You know, you know, it, it it's it's sort of hard to say really. Yeah, until you until you've unlocked the potential, if that makes sense. Now, obviously, you can't give away. You got early stages of talking about scoping and everything, but yeah, look, you mentioned sub-level cave. If you're like you're a company in your position, then you're like, yeah. oh, we're actually part to kind of develop this ourselves. Yeah. Compared to say a new crest or a new yeah, one coming kind of in, taken it's like is that where sublevel cave becomes very advantageous for the made yeah. it possible to get oh, that I think early so. revenue. Well, the the key thing, of course, would would be to get an open cut, right? And then because you know should be pretty low strip ratios, many porphyries are, um, and just get a smaller plan to get the revenue moving underground, decline down, set up for sublevel. I mean, I look at what Oz has achieved with. Carapatina, you know, originally they looked at a block cave that didn't hold together economically, but a sublevel was something digestible for them. And then they put out the study that showed they were going to go to a full block cave. You know, assuming everything geotechnically holds up, that that's a pretty sound approach because 
you know, you imagine, you know, say our market cap is circa 400 million bucks at the moment. Um, you know, imagine us saying, oh, we're going to launch a $3 billion, 30 million ton pronoun processing and block cave. Right? Everyone's going to go, no, you're not. You're not going to get the order yeah. 2020 up. Yeah, you don't, well, yeah. No, everyone's like, no, you're not going to do that, right? But if we say, well, we're going to do this staged approach and we'll build it like this and we'll get to there and then we'll unlock that and here's how the capital we manage and here's how we keep shareholder value growing. People could understand and see that. Yeah, we, but we haven't answered those questions ourselves, mate. You know? Yeah. What's yeah. Uh, what's cost pressures like in New South Wales compared to Western Australia? They're very, very, very well known that cost pressures are very high in Western Australia at the moment. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, not not quite the same. Um, I think um, certainly, you know, power prices are under pressure. You know, certainly they are for domestic customers. You know. Cost of steel is coming off for like your meshing and your mill walls and drills and bits and stuff. Um, you know, not not too bad to be honest. You know, a lot of a lot of WA is driven by um, more and more people looking to go underground, right? With their deposits, you know, you've got even some of the lithium guys are talking about going underground at the moment. And so there's just a shortage of trained personnel and. You know, you can be enticed as an employee to go to somewhere for better money and a better roster and a better camp structure, as you should be able to, right? Um, you know, New South Wales tends to be a little stickier for that. There's a real lifestyle trade-off. And yes, you're trading money for lifestyle, but, you know, it's worth, you know, for a, for a mum to go home and see her kids each night and read them a story after a 12-hour shift. I mean, you'll be tired and they might only get to give them a bath and put her to bed or a Got to go home and see his wife. You know, it's it's worth a lot. Right? And it cures the itch compared to not being there for the whole yeah, week. Yeah, absolutely, abs- absolutely. And even even the fact that you know you're only you know forty five k down the road. You know, if there's a crisis and you know all the stuff that's happened to all of us when we've been away on mine sites and something happens to one of your kids and you know your wife's in rightly so upset and they've got to go to hospital and who can look after this and you you know many of us don't live near a family support structure, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know that that's that's worth a lot, right? And and yeah, if you're going to split your dissect your company into two, you got your 400 million market cap. Yeah, you got Tom Lee and you got your porphyry exploration. How much do you reckon is attributed by investors to each? I don't I don't know. I mean, I think if if we were just Tomingly standalone at the forefront of the cash generation, I think we're worth even more than the market cap is at the moment. So I sort of view it at the moment as. Um, Tommy Lee's a touch undervalued and the rest is free, right? I think. Yep. I think. It's about um, like a true OMD. Well, I don't know. I mean, we're making, we're doing 65,000 ounces. We've got margins of at least a thousand bucks an ounce. It's more than most people. Um, even if you do old cash flow multiples on an MPV base times by six or seven or whatever you want to do, you get to the market cap, right? Um, and I can understand why people find it difficult to put a value on Boda, right? Because if you say that that's baked into our share price, right, and someone's we call it 300 for Tommy Lee and 100 for Boda, um, you know, people think, well, how, how are you going to create value for us going forward on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And with cost, and you read all the broker reports, the quarterlies, the half yearlies, everything is cost pressure, cost pressure, cost pressure. Yeah, and you're sitting at that. Not many are sitting at that thirteen hundred mark. So look at it. Yeah, I mean, we, we, at I think we'll end up this year at sort of, you know, our guidance was fifteen fifty to eighteen hundred because, you know, 
we didn't know. We didn't know where when we put that guidance at. You know, where's 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 all this movement going to end? But it seems to have broadly stabilised. So I expect to be at the bottom end of that. But that's a really good position to be in. Yeah, particularly underground. Mm, very much so. Mm. Now, Newsfly, what's happening? What's coming up? Well, I mean, after such a flurry of Newsfly now, in in before the end of March, so within the next four weeks, we should have drilling to the south of Boda at Boda two and three. That'll come out, um, and then you know another two months after that, we'll have more drilling at Boda. We'll have drilling at right just north of our Roswell deposit, just off our right near where our vent rise is going in down there. We'll be drilling into McLean, so we'll have some results out of that by the middle of the year. Middle of the year, we'll be saying, yeah, it's all systems go, and we'll start sort of giving, you know, it'll be just call almost construction use flow, but it won't really be because we'll be underground and, the you know, we're already running the plant and stuff, but we'll just call it project-style project, project news flow on that. And that's really it because we've sort of gone through that, you know, toll gate definition process, you know, sort of thing, and now we're into sort of back into a getting it done phase again, right? What's so, is timingly a... I guess your standard gold operation, couple of years runway and proven proven on the way down as you decline. Uh, I mean, it's been like that in different times. It's approved out now to 2032. So we've got a pretty clear line of sight for the next decade, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, because we, cause we, cause we had to to get um, we had to, to get the project approvals and the debt squared away for, for it. Yeah, we had to and define that, quite a bit of it. Is most of that on the... That's with the extent, the extension. Extension, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we've got another couple of years ahead of us at the existing operation because the three pits that we run, each of them's open at depth still, right? And you know, different lenses pinch in and out, and it's very like the eastern goldfields in that in that sense, right? So a large part of the life that I referred to does come from down south, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, stuff, mate. Well, thanks very much for, um, yeah. Popping the life of mine, Cherry. Today. It's great to finally have you on. Uh, talk, no worries. Talked about you a few times with uh, Robbo on that, so it's good to good to hear it from the horse's mouth. Really appreciate it. Thanks. So I think there's plenty more to come, and uh, best best of luck with the with the gold pours this year. Yeah, thanks. Let's hope that doesn't. Always say luck will hopefully not come into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good on you, Nick. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks. Thanks.